you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're in this series in the book of Mark called Encounters with Jesus. And and what you recognize is as we go through these encounters, and we just catch portions of it, uh, we're not covering the whole chapter, but there are some really good encounters that people have with Jesus, and there are some really um, discouraging encounters that Jesus has with people. And the one this morning is, is... For Jesus, I would think, a pretty discouraging encounter. It is with his own hometown, uh, the town of Nazareth. So in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him and that that even he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't these, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and among his relatives in his house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Father, would you show us in this time together um, what real faith is in our own lives? Would you expose any unfaith, unbelief that we have in our own lives and, and just our walk with you? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So Jesus leaves Capernaum and he comes down to, it says, his hometown, which is the town of Nazareth. And what is it that we know about Nazareth? Nazareth was this little town, about 60 acres. Actually, when we were in Israel a few years ago, we got to go to Nazareth and Nazareth village, which, which gives you a picture of this small, pretty poor town. Um, there were about 500 people that, were, that lived in uh, in Nazareth in the time of Jesus, and it's never mentioned in the Old Testament, I don't think. It's not mentioned in the Jewish mission or the Talmud or uh, the, the historian Josephus never mentions the town of Nazareth. So it was a, a pretty obscure little town. And, and actually when, uh, when Philip, it says in, in John chapter 1, when Philip uh, went to look up Nathanael, he told him, we found the per- person that Moses and the prophets have written about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And, and his response was, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so Nazareth wasn't the greatest town to grow up in, but, but this is where Jesus was born. He lived there for the first 30 years of his life. And, you know, he it's one of those things where when you live in a town of 500, you know everybody and everybody knows you. You know, they, he, you know the, the guys that he grew up with, he played with them, he worked with them, went to synagogue with them. You know, the families ate dinner together. And, and so these people that Jesus is about to minister to and to share with, he knew them. They grew up with him. They were familiar with Jesus. And if you remember, about a year earlier, Jesus had been in Nazareth when, when his ministry was beginning. And if you would turn to Luke chapter 4, um, early in his ministry, this is what it says. 
And so, as news about Jesus was spreading at the beginning of his ministry, he was doing miracles, he was teaching, and, and so this day when he's in Nazareth, they ask him to get up and to read um, from the Scripture. And it says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, on, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled it, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Then it says, And he rolled it up, and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled. Basically what Jesus did a year earlier in Nazareth was he read that scripture and he said, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you have been waiting for. Now, this was the guy they grew up with, and it didn't go over very well, because it says, if you go on down in Luke chapter 4, verse 20, it says, they were furious when they heard this, and actually it says that they, they ultimately tried to kill Jesus on his uh, first trip to Nazareth um, after he was doing ministry. So that was the attitude towards him in the town of Nazareth, this town that he grew up in. Maybe part of it was because his family thought he was crazy. In, John, or in Mark chapter 3, if you remember a couple weeks ago, his family actually came to get him one time when he was doing ministry. He said, he's out of his mind. And so maybe his family had influence on how the people of Nazareth felt about Jesus. But, but nevertheless, they still were curious about him, and, and they still recognized him as sort of he had a rabbi status, because only rabbis could read in the Jewish synagogues. And, and it says in verse 2 of Mark 6, when Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. It says they were amazed. Where did he get these things? What's the wisdom that has been given to him? He even does miracles. And, and so they're curious about who this Jesus is, this guy that they, grew, that they grew up with. It says in Luke that they marveled at him, that they, that they were astounded at his teaching, and they couldn't resist going and hearing this Jesus that has, was so popular in the surrounding communities, hear him speak and to see him. I mean, he was this guy that they had grown up with. And all of a sudden, he's like the man of the hour. All of a sudden, people are starting to say, this, this guy that you knew, he could be the Messiah. He could be the one that we've been waiting for. But for them, it was like, what do you mean he's the Messiah? We know him. We know his mother. We know his sisters. This guy can't be the Messiah. And so their unbelief really prevailed in this situation, and, and unbelief is a really powerful thing. And here in Nazareth, it is so powerful that it says in verse 6, he says, even Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith or their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And that word amazed or, or wonder, it may be in your translation, appears about 30 times in the New Testament. About 30 different times we read about someone being amazed, but most of those, 28 of those times, it is people being amazed at what Jesus had done. But there are two times in Scripture where 
it says that Jesus was amazed. One time is here and one time is, is um, uh, back in, in Matthew chapter 8. If you remember, uh, the centurion in Capernaum came to Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5, and he said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and is in terrible suffering. And Jesus said, I will go ahead and heal him. And then the, then the centurion says, but Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come to, into my home. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it says in verse 10, it says, and Jesus, when he heard this, was amazed and wondered at his faith. So there's the one time that we see it in Scripture that Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. And the only other time we find Jesus being amazed by something is here in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. It says, he was amazed at their lack of faith, at their unbelief. You see, unbelief is a powerful, powerful thing. If you think about it, Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, Eve is in the garden. Satan comes to her and he says, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree of the garden? And he says, You will surely not die. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Eve, because of her unbelief in what God had told her to not eat from that tree, chose to eat from it because of her unbelief and because of that sin entered the world. The power of unbelief. When God told Noah to build the ark and, and, and Noah was telling people why he was building it and, and, and inviting people to repent, it was unbelief that brought the floodwaters to the earth and destroyed humanity. And it is unbelief for us. Unbelief in Jesus Christ that, that catapults people into eternal hell. Unbelief is what activates the wrath of God and what will cause divine judgment on all those who don't believe. John 3 verse 36 says, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Faith, belief is powerful for giving us eternal life. But then it says, but anyone who does not obey the Son of will never experience eternal life what remains under God's judgment. The power of unbelief. As I thought about these people in Nazareth and this centurion, and when God looks at me, when he looks at you, does he look at me and have the response that he did for the centurion where he says, I'm amazed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at your, at your faith and your belief. Is that his response? Or is the response like it was for the people of Nazareth? 
He's amazed at our unbelief. In spite of us knowing who he is, yet we still don't believe. And, and we're, we're a lot like these people in Nazareth. And, and before we're too critical of them, we're kind of like they are. You know, they were familiar with Jesus. They grew up with him. They, they were around him his whole life. They knew most everything about him. But their familiar, familiarity with him, I think, caused some of their unbelief. The, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt or extensive knowledge of someone or a close association with someone leads to a loss of respect. Well, he's just Jesus. His brothers and his sisters are here. He's just Jesus. So it was their familiarity with him. But what about us? You know, many of us grew up knowing about Jesus. You know, Jesus was a part of our family. You know, we, uh, we, we ran into him from time to time. You know, we ran into him at mealtime when, when we prayed to bless our food, and, and we ran into him at bedtime when, when, when we prayed or maybe read a little bit of Scripture. But, but the rest of the week, we, we just knew about him. And we like Jesus. Now we don't, don't like Jesus. We, we like him, but, but, but we like an easy Jesus. Now that word easy means to achieve without great effect or to present few difficulties. That's the Jesus we like. One that we can achieve without much effort. We like a Jesus that makes life easy on us. You know, we invite him into our world and we say, Jesus, come join me in my endeavors. Jesus, come join me in what I am doing. Jesus, come fix my problems. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. And we really want him to serve us and our needs. You know, as kids, we, we grew up singing this song. If I had a little box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and, and put him back again and share him with a friend. I'd share him with a friend. That's the kind of Jesus we like. The kind of Jesus that we can put in a box and put him on a shelf, and then when we need him, we take him off, we get him out, and we use him according to our needs. That's the kind of Jesus we want. We want an easy Jesus. We want Jesus to follow us. But remember what Jesus told his disciples in, in Mark chapter 1? He came and he, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting net, the, the, these fishermen. He said, come and follow me. Now in a couple weeks in Mark chapter 8, when we get there, 
Jesus says, if anyone must, would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. You see, we don't like when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. We want Jesus to follow us. We want Jesus in a box. We want an easy Jesus. You see, they liked Jesus when he was a child. They, uh, but this Jesus that, that, these, that these people from Nazareth were running into now, this Jesus was saying some hard things. And they didn't like that. See, just knowing about Jesus isn't enough. You see, when we truly trust in him, because believing means that we follow him where he leads. Wherever he goes, we will follow. Even if it costs us everything. Even if nobody else follows, we will follow. Because that's what a believer does. That's what a follower does. That's what a disciple does. They follow. You see, our problem is, I'm talking to myself here, is, is we like certain things that Jesus says. You know, when Jesus says that, that, that we are to, to, to uh, when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, we like that. We like that Jesus says, come on, if you're tired or weary, come to me. We like that Jesus said, ask me of anything in my name, and I will, I will answer. We like that. We like the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it weren't so, I'd tell you so. If I go there, I will come back. We like that. We like that Jesus. But there are certain things about Jesus and what he says that we don't like. Yeah, we like that he died for our sins. We like that he's our Savior. But we don't necessarily want him to be Lord. Because when he is Lord of my life means I submit to him and I go where he leads me and I do what he instructs me. I am his disciple. But I don't necessarily want him to be Lord because we want an easy Jesus. And so we explain away verses that say, go and make disciples of all nations. We explain away when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. We explain it away when he says, go and sell everything and come and follow me. Those things we don't like, and we find ways to explain away what Jesus is saying. We overlook them. But if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must be obedient to everything he taught us. Everything. And we have to quit being selective 
in what we believe, and we have to quit putting him on a shelf and taking him off when we need him, and we have to make him Lord. Now, children, I want you to listen to me for a little bit here. Actually, I want you to always listen to me, but I want you to listen. See, this week when you were in Bible school, you learned that Jesus, on his way back from Jerusalem, stayed in the temple, right? And then his his parents, it says, they had to come back looking for him. And when his parents found him, what did Jesus say when his parents found him? Anybody? I'm about my father's house. Yes, why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's work. And then you learned about Jesus walking on water, right? Jesus came walking on water. Peter sees him. Everybody's scared. And Peter says, if it is you, Lord, tell me to come. And Peter begins to walk on the water. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and loses faith, what happens? He goes down. We learned this week that Jesus, not only did he die on a cross, but, but he was resurrected from the dead. He died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected, the Bible says, for our righteousness to make us clean. Now, children, you have a choice to make. You see, we have to do something with that. Because if we believe that that Jesus, um, when he said, I'm about my father's work, he is the son of God. Remember when he was baptized? We learned about that this week. When he was baptized, what did God the Father say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so if if this Jesus that we learned about this week is the son of God, the father who God sent, and that he, he died on the cross and resurrected for my sins, then I have to do something with him. And so I either choose to believe him and make him Lord of my life and Savior, or I choose to not believe and reject him. And every adult here has the same decision to make. If you believe that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross, that he was resurrected for our righteousness, then we have something that we have to do. We choose either to believe and spend eternity with him, or we choose to reject, and our unbelief will cause us to be eternally in hell. So children, you have a choice to make. And the moment that I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, I have to make that choice. If you're a youth sitting here this morning, every, every day when you go to school, you have choices to make. Every day when you sit in classes and you learn things about things like the theory of evolution and, and other uh, things that you're taught, you have a choice to make that day. Do I believe what the world teaches or do I believe what God's Word says? I have a choice to make, belief or unbelief. When you're walking down the halls and, and, and you're interacting with your friends, you have a choice to make. When you go off to college and, and you, you um, higher education and, and you're exposed to all of that, you have choices to make, belief or unbelief. Every one of us have choices to make. And every one of us will choose either to believe and follow or to not believe. 
parents. I want you to turn with me to, I want everyone to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is called the Shema. It's a passage of scripture that, that every Jew knew, had memorized. And this is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be put on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along on the roads and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind, bind them to your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Parents, we have to, first of all, what this would say is, is I must, as a, as a mom or a dad in my home, I, it begins by me having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Me loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all that I have, I love God. And I reflect that in the way I live my life. And then it goes on, it says, and when you, then you impress these things on, the, on your children. You impress your faith upon your children. And, and parents, you will impress something on your children. You will either impress belief or unbelief. But he said, this goes on, it says, look, when, when you love the Lord and what God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, impress upon children, talk about it at home, when you, when you walk along the way, when you are on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, in whatever situation you find yourselves, reflect Jesus. Moms and dads, in your marriage, you reflect Jesus. Your children are watching. When you're at work, reflect Jesus. And explain to your children why you're doing the things that you're doing. When you're at their events, at their ball games, the hardest place to be a Christian. Show your children what a follower of Christ looks like. We are teaching them something. And if if we are, are families who put Jesus in a box and then put him on a shelf and keep him there till we need him, how can we expect our kids to do anything less? In fact, their need for this Jesus on the shelf is going to go away. If we put Jesus in a box and we leave him there, our kids aren't going to have a need for the box that we put Jesus in. I believe we are in crisis in our country, a crisis of unbelief, where our children are walking away from the church every day, primarily because of what they see at home. I think we cause 
lots of their unbelief because of the way we live and the way we follow Jesus or who we make Jesus out to be. And this Jesus in a box just isn't going to do it. It's just not going to do it. Moms and dads, we have to show our children. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I did not get this right all the time. I was very imperfect in showing my children who Jesus was at times. But, but I want to encourage you. Um, I see a lot of young kids here. Make sure that you reflect to them who Jesus of the Bible is. And that, and that, that we're not like we don't become like the people of Nazareth who, who, who got tired of Jesus because they just knew who he was and they didn't like what he had to say. It is important that we help them understand by the way we act, by our actions, that this Jesus that, that came to this earth that died on a cross, that resurrected for our sins, is real. And that we invite them into a relationship with him. But every person here this morning, we all have a decision to make. Will we believe or not believe? Both are very powerful. Belief in Jesus Christ gives us eternity in heaven with him. Unbelief of him separates us from him eternally. Both are powerful. Choose belief. Let's pray. God, you, you have given us your son. Father, this morning there, um, I pray that your spirit will be working right here among us. And, and those who don't yet believe, who this morning are being prompted by your spirit. Father, would you invite them into relationship? Invite them to believe on Jesus, to confess with their mouth, and to believe in their heart to enter in to relationship. And Father, for those of us who, who have families, uh, who, who um, are walking in relationship with you, Father, would we make you Lord? Make you Lord of our lives. Father, would we hold on to every word that you speak, every word that you spoke to us. And Father, as you give us strength to, to walk out our faith, Lord, to show those who are younger than us, Lord, whether it's our children or, 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 or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or friends, help us, Lord, to walk and show people 
how to follow. Father, may we glorify you with the way that we live our lives for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.